Hey everyone, welcome back to the M&M Hockey Podcast. As always, I'm your host Alex Metzger. Along with me is my co-host Chase McCallum. We continue to social distance, so we will continue to be over Skype. Uh, so th- I think the audio quality has been decent the past two weeks, but uh, definitely not up to what it usually is. So just uh, bear with us as we all try to work through this. Uh, last week we did our top 20 wingers, and the week before that we did our top 10 centermen. So this week we figured we would try and tackle the top 20 defensemen currently in the league. Uh, this was a pretty tough list in my opinion. This is definitely the hardest one I've had to do. Um, I took probably 30 minutes and I'm still not totally sure I'm comfortable with what I have but uh yeah we'll just get right into it I guess uh I'll start with my honorable mentions Chase uh right off the bat I had two guys the two rookies this year Hughes and McCarr uh I think you could probably make a case for both of these guys being at least near the top 20 but just because they have one year of sample I decided to leave them out but give them an honorable mention because they both have been studs this year yeah, they've both been amazing. I threw Fox in the honorable mention tier with them as well. And then another guy I have in the honorable mentions, which serves as a bit of a warning for those guys, was Miro Heiskanen, who had a better rookie year than this past season, which is why I think it's important not to get too, too excited about these guys, even though there's obviously going to be great ahead of them. Yeah, I had uh, Heiskanen on my list, uh, so he'll be coming up in a few names here. But uh, a couple guys I left, I also have for, I have four honorable mentions just for guys that uh, aren't rookies, but I want to give some credit to. I thought about just giving the entire Minnesota Wild Defense Corps an honorable mention, so I didn't have to put any of them on my list. Uh, uh. But but I, I, I didn't do that. There is, I think, one or two of them on my list. But I did leave Jonas Brodeen just off. He's about the, the 21st, 22nd kind of guy. And then I also have Brent Burns just because I think Burns, uh, you know, obviously we know he's an all-offensive guy who can't play defense. But even his offense started to fall off a little bit this year. So uh, he got bumped out to just outside the top 20 for me. And then there's also Ivan Provorov, who is just kind of – a good defenseman and I, I think he's a number one defenseman in my opinion but I think he's just outside of that top 20 tier as well and then I wanted to give a shout out to Aaron Ekblad who is probably closer to 30 than he is 20 but this year he has actually been unreal in his own end like when he's on the ice Florida shockingly doesn't give much up especially compared to how bad they are when he's off the ice so I wanted to give a shout out to Ekblad there too yeah I like Ekblad as well he's uh it's nice for him because he looked like he was trending towards the definitive bust route yeah, for a while there was always the uh, the uh, analytic uh, savvy thing to say that uh, he was going to be, you know, he's one of the few contracts that the stats guys uh, didn't get right. But, I mean, you look at him now and uh, I don't know, like he's probably still making a little too much, but for a legitimate number one defenseman or, you know, maybe not legitimate, but borderline number one defenseman, I don't think his contract's the worst thing in the world either. Yeah, I certainly would like to have him at less money, but it's not exactly the anchor it looked like it was probably going to become before that. And then just for honorable mentions for guys who've played a bit, I threw in Hampus Lindholm as well. I really like him, but couldn't find a spot on the list for him. Uh, I have him just on my list as well, so we'll get to him in a second, or very soon, um, for mine. Perfect. I guess we can start that out, because he's number 20 for me. Okay, that works pretty well. Yeah, um, so he's one guy that I really liked, and uh, yeah, like, I don't know, I, I just tried to sneak him in there. Um, uh, he's a guy that I, I think uh, you can make a real good argument for um, to be right around that range, where he's uh, number one defenseman. He's not quite in, like, I don't know how, how many guys you want to consider elite. I think there's probably only five 
guys that are elite maybe per position in the league, if you're using the word elite correctly, but he is a very, very, very good defenseman on a team that is not very good at all. Yeah, and he's one of those first guys I ever realized was actually super good by using uh, statistics, so I always kind of have a soft spot in my heart for him. Yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, I don't really have a ton to say on him. I just, yeah, he's one of the guys that I really did try to fit in my list, and that's why he came in right at 20 for me. Um, yeah. So, so I, and then I guess, pardon, sorry? He's one of those microstat gods. Yeah, exactly. And I think we'll get into this a couple times on this list where it's uh, with defensemen. The reason like we I think we both had such a hard time choosing these lists is that it's so hard to choose between, uh, you know, what we have publicly available to us on things like evolving hockey and um, hockey viz and your model as well uh, to, you know, micro stats and even trying to incorporate the eye test a little bit in there, too. Yeah, because it's important to add more context with defensemen i don't know how you would definitively prove this but i have a lot less faith in our ability to evaluate defensemen with statistics than i do with forwards yeah i think it's just kind of like you look at the data and can be so noisy from year to year and it's just like it's just one of those things where if you logically think about it too like you don't need any any graphs or anything like that if you just logically think about it even when you're watching a game how do you evaluate defense because the best defense is just not getting scored on, but you wouldn't typically think of defense as having the puck, except that's what you kind of want to do in the defensive end, right? So, yeah, it's this weird thing where the like, I yeah, like how do you eye test what's not happening? Yeah, exactly, and and how do you how do you analyze what's not happening too in terms of statistics? And there's obviously ways you can do it and see who lets up less shots and stuff like that, but it's just so hard overall. Yeah, and you'll see. I said I don't know how you prove this definitively, but like it is worth noting, most if not all of the statistics I've looked at are less repeatable for defensemen year to year, which suggests to me they're probably more dependent on their context than forwards are, making yeah. them harder to analyze. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so who did you have at 20 then? At 20, I have a guy I never thought would be 20 on a list that I'm making in 2020, but Shea Weber. Uh, that's a good one. He was a little off of mine. I think he he was kind of the 25 to 30 range for me. But uh, again, with defensemen, it's so hard that you can kind of put them anywhere in these tiers. Uh, but yeah, that's a good one. Explain your case for Shea Weber. Um, like he's not super flashy, aside from his God knows however many miles per hour slap shot. But he just kind of quietly plugs along and gets fantastic results. He's maybe a little overrated defensively, but underrated offensively at even strength, I would say. He's not not necessarily this defensive god that uh, stats people, or sorry, mainstream media and quote-unquote eye test people, whatever you want to call them, made him out to be, but I think he is still a strong play driver at even strength. Yeah, he's not the uh, 2010 Olympic team Shea Weber that just you know, people like to think him think of him as the same with 2014, I think, where he shot the puck through the net or whatever. And I feel like people just see that and see how don't for they kind of forget how good of a team that was, but see him and guys like Keith on the back end just uh, not letting anything up while they're on the ice and just think he's amazing defensively. Uh, one of the big things I would say that goes against Weber just right now is just how little games he's played in the past three years. Uh, he's yeah. played 65, 58, and 26 games, which like. 
again, that's not all his fault. I mean, freak injuries happen, but for me, I think that's also just a reason I kind of bumped him down a little bit was just because the amount of games played isn't there. And, you know, that's not something I think, like, obviously I think he is a first pair defenseman when he's playing, but trying to be healthy is, I try and factor that in a little bit. Yeah. And he's at the age too, where like, I really dislike when people say, oh, he's injury prone as an argument against most players, but Shea Weber's old enough that this might actually be something caused by his body, not necessarily just fluke accidents. For sure. And it's not the worst thing. I mean, if Montreal wins the season, you know, if, if even if we don't have another season, you know, to end this year, but once we start next year and into the future years for the next three or four years, even if Weber say he's hurt, but it's more like load management, like you saw the Raptors do with Kawhi Leonard last year, where it's like, if he's only playing 60 to 65 games in the regular season, I don't think that's the worst thing. No, not when you have a 32-year-old signed for seven more years or whatever the heck it is. Yeah, exactly. So, I yeah, I don't I don't think that playing... I think playing less games would be a good thing for him, but just in terms of, you know, looking at who are the best defensemen right now, I, I take that into account a little bit, at least. Yeah, and for this list, we are not concerned with the Montreal Canadiens' long-run output. This is just who the best defensemen are today. Exactly. Uh, so my number 19, I said we are getting to him, Miro Heiskanen. Uh, he's a guy, again, he had a really good rookie season. Uh, he's still been good lately too. It's not like he fell off a cliff or anything like that. Uh, like this, this year he's just been, I think closer to average than anything else. But like, uh, I don't know, like between his rookie season and this year, to me, he was still good enough to be in the top, uh, 20. I had him just on the edge there, but, uh, anywhere in that range, I think is fine. Uh, for, for the guys that I have. So uh, including my honorable mentions, he ranks, uh, 21st out of 25 guys, I believe, in uh, Evolving Hockey's uh, goals above replacement model for the past two seasons. So, yeah. like, it's not like, it's not like he's been, or sorry, past three seasons. And considering he didn't play three seasons ago, that's kind of impressive. Um, so he he's just a. Uh, there's another Dallas defender that's on this list that I'm sure we'll get to in a little bit, but he, he's blossoming into something that is very exciting and is going to be very exciting in the future. But definitely his rookie season was a little more impressive than this season, and maybe that's just because of easier usage and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, I had Heisken in 19. Yeah, that's 100% fair. I think I probably would have had him 21, maybe 22 behind Lindholm. Like, he's, he's good. His play-driving numbers underwhelmed me enough that I had him off the list, but I think it's perfectly reasonable to have him here. Yeah, uh, so who did you have 19 then? I had Tory Krug. Okay, so I left him off my list and I will explain why after you explain why you have him 19. Um, Again, he kind of fits a guy I'm going to have soon as well, that Thomas Shabbat mold. Like, he's just this very, very good offensive player who... He's not a defensive stalwart or anything, but he's just simply good enough on offense, I believe, to make up for it. And he's also amazing on the power play. Yeah, um, that's fair. I he was he he was in the twenty-five to thirty range for me too. I had him on, so I made a list. Pretty much how I do these is I make a list of I believe I had thirty-two guys or so, almost one for every team. Obviously, there's multiple from different teams, and you know none from teams like Detroit, but. Um, we, I have guys where I, I just try and make like a 30 to 32 man list. And he, as we were getting down to, I think he made the final 25 cut or something like that. But then I just decided to leave him off. Um, the reason I did that is, you know, so the sites I look at, I try and, 
I try and take in what I see uh, with my eye test, but I also try and look at um, you know sites like Hockey Biz and Evolving Hockey. So the power play thing is fair, and uh, I, I think that's definitely goes his way. When you look at the um, Evolving Hockey side of things, uh, he his goals above replacement over the past three years, I don't think they've been great. I'm just checking right now quickly. Uh, he's been average. He, he was uh, 19th out of 25 guys, so... Uh, right around the high skin and mold as well for the past three years. And then when you look at his uh, individual impact uh, five on five for uh, hockey biz, that's where I think he takes a bit of a hit. So it, the past two seasons when you know his isolated impact has been pretty poor uh, in Boston, plus 9.7 in his own end and plus 11 percent in his own end as well. Uh, the offensive impact has been good, but nowhere near as bad as it is defensively. So to me, that's just kind of why I left them off the top 20 list. However, I do think he is a number one defenseman. Yeah, I agree. And he's also got a really nice penalty differential, which helps him kind of mitigate that defensive impact. Yeah, 100 percent. So my number 18, uh, he was a guy that I debated putting as an honorable mention, but decided to move up a couple spots. Uh, I have Matthias Eckholm. Ooh, that I have him real high. Okay, so I have two other Nashville defensemen real high, and it's so hard, I think, to differentiate between the three of them. Uh, I dropped Ekholm down a little bit. Uh, his numbers are really good on Evolving Hockey. The past three years, uh, he's 10th in goals above replacement for the, you know, the the 30 guys that I have or so. Uh, or, sorry, the 25. Um, he In the past two years, he drops down a bit. So, you know, it was three years ago that he really had his, uh, I think, career high season in terms of goals above replacement anyways. The past two years, he's been 21 out of 25. Um, and then when you go and look at, again, on uh, Hockey Biz, his numbers just aren't, uh, they're good. They're they're very good. I mean, he's a number one defenseman, but compared to some of the other guys, they're just maybe not as jaw-dropping. Like this year, he struggled in his own end, but he was very good in the offensive end. Uh, and then in the past couple of years, it's been a little bit of the different, like he's been good in his own end, but uh, not as great in the offensive end. So, Yeah, that's fair enough. I uh, He's another one of those guys, if you use the evolving hockey model, his sort of expected results exceed his actual results over the past few years. So I was kind of deferring with defensemen more than forwards. I tend to defer to their expected results too. And I think he's just been a strong expected goals drivers on both ends of the ice. Yeah, and that's fair. Uh, I think he, you know, I don't, I just wasn't comfortable putting him in, you know, my top 10 or anything. I think he's great. Uh, it's just, to me, it's also kind of hard to differentiate between him and two other really good defensemen. I'm probably 100% certain we're going to get to later on this list. Oh, yeah, there's definitely two other Nashville defensemen that are bound to be on the list. Yeah, and one of them I have very, very high. So, uh, yeah, who is your 18 then? Um, this little run here, I basically have the same player three times. 18 is Thomas Shabbat. Okay, I have Thomas Shabbat 17, so we're very close on that one. Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, it's impressive how young he is. He's kind of like him and Heiskin, in, in my opinion, are like they're not the same players in terms of how they play, but just they're like – what they've done the past two seasons have been very similar. I think they were like separated goals above replacement by like 0.1. Um, uh, the difference to me is Shabbat's team to Heiskinen's team, obviously. Um, what Shabbat's doing on a garbage Ottawa team has been very impressive. Uh, he's got to work on his own end of things. He is very bad in his own end. And 
I can tell you that without even looking at statistics that he's not good in his own end or not great anyways. Um, he, you know, again, it's hard to compare when he has, like, he hasn't played with a good defensive partner yet in his career, really. Uh, he played a little bit with Eric Carlson a couple years ago, but uh, since Eric Carlson left, it's been like Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev. Uh, when he was playing with Dylan DeMello, he was all right, but uh, like they were, that was his best pairing, but even then, they didn't get played near enough uh, together. But if he could work on his defensive game while still playing, being the amazing offensive play driver that he is, he has a, the potential to be top 10 in this list for years to come. Yeah, exactly. And ironically, I think a pretty good comparable for him is young Morgan Riley. And it's funny that he's been saddled with Ron Hainsey and Nikita Zaitsev because Morgan Riley can sympathize with that better than the vast majority of people. Yeah, exactly. Uh, And, you know, speaking of Morgan Riley, I have him at 16 if we want to get into him as well. That's exactly who I have at 16. Okay, so and then who do you have at 17? John Carlson. John Carlson. Okay, I have him a little higher, uh, but we can get him into him later if you want. But uh, so let's go with Morgan Riley here, and then we'll you can touch on Carlson. And I'll give my reasons why he's higher later. Uh, okay. So for Morgan Riley, it's a lot of the same as Thomas Shabbat, really. Like, yeah, very much so. I had you talked about Shabbat and Heiskanen being very similar. I put Shabbat above Heiskanen just because. Shabbat has shown more of a high-end skill in one area of the game, and Morgan Riley basically just takes that and stretches it to even more extreme. He's worse defensively, but even better offensively. Yeah, uh, he's one of those guys where it's like, he really fits the Toronto mold perfectly of what they're going for, of all offense, no defense kind of thing, where it's like, yeah, he's not good in his own end. I don't think he's like, he's yeah, he's not good. He's not like the worst defensive player in the league, but he's definitely not... Like, he's not someone you would really want out there to rely on not getting scored on with two minutes left in the game, for sure. Yeah, exactly. He's great. Like, if you're winning the faceoff back to him and his goal is to get the puck to one of your wingers or your center or whoever, he's going to be great at that. But if your goal is him on an island defending, you really don't want him on the ice. No, not at all. Um, but, you know, it goes the other way, too. In the offensive end, he is uh, very, very good. And on the power play, he he is a dynamic threat that you have to uh, pay attention to. Yeah, and it's amazing that he manages to get the power play results that he does because he does not have a slap shot. Like, that's not a weapon you think of when Morgan Riley's at the point. No, not at all. Uh, yeah, like, it's... Uh, I, I think the power play he's on now obviously helps him a little too, but he just so like that whole power play kind of, it's amazing that they don't score more often than they do uh, just with how many weapons that they have on it. You know, with Tavares, Marner, Matthews, Riley, you know, you can sub Barry in there now if you want, Nylander, like the list just kind of goes on and on and on. And all of them just kind of have like either just great vision, an amazing shot or a combo of the two. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, Morgan Riley just standing at the point, the distributor at the top there. He is pretty much the perfect defenseman for that role. Exactly. Um, okay, so let's get into John Carlson then. I'll just, I guess, we'll just go with where I have him. I have him all the way up at seventh right now. Um, so you give him why he's. I so you give him why he's up uh, down on your list. I'll give him why he's up on my list. So, so I essentially just have him as the same player as Morgan Riley. I think you could argue John Carlson is 
better on the power play. I think that's an easy enough argument to make. But I don't think John Carlson drives play offensively as well as Morgan Riley. Yeah, on 5-on-5, I I would definitely agree with you. Uh, His isolated numbers definitely make him a little worse to the point where, like, I might debate dropping him down if I redid this list right now. Like, he might be closer to 10th or 11th for me than he is 7th. Um, his evolving hockey really likes him. Uh, obviously, he's not great defensively. Uh, he's a minus 8.4 in even strength defense, but his offense they're very high on, and a lot of that is, uh, you know, they have a lot of even strength, but power play too. We've kind of talked about it uh, quite often of, is he, you know, it's kind of the same, uh, same idea as Morgan Riley, where it's like he might not be the one completely driving the power play, but he's a, a big part of it. Um, however, it's it's obviously really easy to rack up points on a power play that has Nicholas Backstrom and Alexander Ovechkin on it. Uh, but he's uh, such a threat on, on the back end for the power play that, uh, you know, teams really have to pay attention to him, too, because if they just commit to covering, you know, two of the guys, Carlson's going to burn them. And for me, you know, with the uh, 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 penalties drawn as well, I, he doesn't uh, or sorry, penalties taken. He doesn't take too many penalties, I don't believe. Uh, I'm just looking at that now. I believe I had that written down, though. Uh, so that kind of helps them, too. Uh, yeah, for sure. Uh, yeah, like, I don't know. This year, he like he hasn't been over 34 penalty minutes since 2010, 2011. So it's just kind of one of those things where it's like, that's a small thing, obviously, but it kind of helps factor in. I think maybe if I was doing it again, I would bump him down a little bit. But uh, just seeing what he does offensively is pretty impressive even if he doesn't maybe drive the play consistently at uh, 5v5 i still wouldn't want his contract uh but again if we're not considering contract i just uh don't have that factored in as much yeah it's there would be no reason to dock his contract on this list i would be very concerned about the contract no matter how high we have him on this list because of his age and whatnot but yeah, he's definitely a good player. I just I have him closer to obviously right beside Morgan Riley because I think they are very indiscernible. Yeah, and that's fair. I think uh, you know points. Obviously, you don't want to only judge by points. I think when you have seventy five points in sixty nine games, though, you're doing something right. And you know a lot of them are assists. And again, that that goes to the high powered offense. But his on off splits with Washington's offense with him and then without him. Uh, are pretty insane too and again a lot of that can be teammates but uh, like last year Washington with Carlson on the ice at 5v5 was a plus 11 percent threat on a hockey viz without him they were minus seven percent you know and same this year maybe not quite that extreme of numbers but he's an integral part of their offense I don't know you know he drives it but not maybe not to the extent of some other guys on this list but that's just why I had him way higher for now yeah fair enough and I think he would have gotten like I think people would even want him higher than you have him at seven, because I think he would have gotten a lot of Norris buzz this year. Oh, yeah. Season. Well, he, he finished fourth in Norris voting last season, and I think he would probably be first or second this year. Yeah, he's probably first with that, like, point-per-game season. Yeah, I and expect. I, yeah, and I wouldn't have him that high at all. Um, but that being said, I still think that, you know, for me right now anyways, he's in the top ten. Yeah, he was very good. Just maybe yeah. not as good as I think. All right, so who did you have at 15 then? At 15, I had, I think, the elder statesman of this list, Mark Giordano. Okay, so I had him up as well. I have him at eight right now. 
Okay, that's yeah. fair. Um, I don't like. I think you know this year he's taken a bit of a step back, but for me last year, like that was, you know, last year he played very very well. Um, and he's just been. He's definitely a guy who's older, and I could see falling off a cliff at any moment if, uh, you know, you know, in the next couple of years, because he's, I think, 35 already. But, yeah, for me, over the past three years, he's been ninth out of, you know, 25 guys that I had on my list for goals above replacement. So I, I figured at eight, I, I think that trying to factor in his priors, uh, it's a little bit of a risk given his age, but I just think that he does so many things so well that he's uh, in the top 10 for me. Yeah, that's reasonable. I bumped him down a little bit. Again, we kind of touched on this with Patrick Kane. He plays a lot. Like, he hasn't missed much time. So his sort of pro-rated numbers don't make him look as good over the past few seasons. That is partially a compliment to him because he's good enough to play that much. And you are certainly not complaining if you're the Calgary Flames playing him 24 minutes a night. But it also bumps him down my list a little because he hasn't been as efficient with his ice time as other guys that I'm going to have above him. Yeah, that's that's fair. Um, I don't have much to push back on that. Uh, yeah, I, I just for him, you know, playing obviously you have to try and factor in everything, and so you know, playing big minutes all the time is important. And you know, he had a, I think it was last year. Yeah, he won the Norris last year, and I don't know. I think it's he won in a landslide. Like he got 165 first place votes, and then there was only so there was only six people who didn't vote for him first. I don't know if I'd say it was that aggressive of a gap last year, but I think it was, like, close enough. Yeah, I'm pretty sure we both had him as our winner last year, right? I believe so, yeah. He was, like, I think there was two or three guys last year that I said could have won it, and, you know, I was very fine with him winning. Almost unanimously is a a bit surprising, but uh, that being said, you know, I I think we, if we both still have the winner, it's fair enough to say that last year was very good, so. Yeah, he was amazing. The age uh, so, scares me a little bit. Yeah, 100%. Uh, you know, as I said, like, even, you know, maybe he sits too long. If we have six months off between or seven months off between hockey games here, you know, maybe he comes back next year and he's just not the same player that he was. Uh, or maybe he is. I don't know. But, you know, when you get up to the mid thir- mid to late 30s, you know, guys can fall off at any time, really. Yeah, exactly. Um, so my 15 was Jared Spurgeon. Ooh, all right. So uh, now we're getting into do I have really high, and you have relatively low. Okay. Uh, yeah, I like Spurgeon a lot. I try. Uh, with Minnesota, it's so tough because, uh, it, you know, especially when looking at priors and stuff like that, too, it's like the team is, you know, for advanced stats anyways, they're all very, very good defensively, or almost all of them. Uh, so he ranks very, very highly in uh, hockey visits, or sorry, um, evolving hockey's model. He's fifth on the 25 guys that I have on the list in the past three years for goals above replacement. Uh, when you bump that back down to two years, he, I believe, is second. He's still fifth. So uh, they, obviously their model likes him a lot, and as do you. Uh, when you go to hockey biz, this year he has been amazing. He's, you know, his isolated impact has been amazing in his own end. Uh, and last year it was good as well, but nowhere near as good as this year. Uh, the reason he got docked a little bit for me is just how little I think he drives play offensively, especially years before this season. So this season he's at plus 3.5%, which is good. Uh, but the past three seasons he's been minus 9.2, minus 3.9, and minus 6.0, minus 8.0 if you want to go even one more season before that. Uh, and yeah. last season, he was minus 3.9% in his own end, and then 
positive the three seasons before that. So for me, it's one of those guys where it's like he's been very good the past two years, but the lack of offense in terms of play driving anyways, and maybe this is teammate uh, impact too, but even when you look at his isolated impact, it's just not very strong. So that's where he loses points on for mine. Yeah, he's an interesting one because hockey viz is relatively low on him. Evolving hockey's model is really, really high on him. Personally, my models have always liked his offense for quite some time. And then you factor in, he is more of a two-way guy than a lot of the dudes on this list. So, and then add on to the fact that my models actually are relatively high on his offense. I feel comfortable having him pretty high on this list. Yeah, and that would uh, definitely explain the gap. You know, I tried to balance out between the two, and that's kind of why he landed, you know, 15 for me. One had him at five, and I think if, you know, you made a list of isolated impacts for evolving hockey, I don't even know if he would be uh, on it um, on the top 20, just given how low their model is on him, on them. So, uh, you know, for me, I just tried to put him somewhere in the middle and, uh, you know, looking, you know, there's there's a couple other guys on the uh, Minnesota Defense Corps that I had written down to, but I think he's the best of the bunch on the team. You know, Jonas Brodeen, Ryan Sutter's still good, although old, but he's not and not what he used to be. Matt Dumba's pretty good, too. Uh, but, you know, I, to me, I think Jared Spurgeon's the best of the bunch. Yeah, I think he's the best one there, too. You could make an argument for Sutter, but that argument would have to rely more on minute munching than actual results, so I would be skeptical of it. Exactly. Uh, so who do you have, So where did you have Spurgeon, I guess? Five. Okay, so all the way up at five. So, yeah, I don't know. Like, uh, to me, I just, given what data I have available to me, I'm just not comfortable putting him that high, but... Uh, it depends on what model you use, obviously, and that's why it's so interesting to uh, uh, evalu- try and evaluate defense, uh, especially when, you know, I'm not watching more than two Minnesota Wild games a year, and those two are when they play Ottawa. I'm not choosing to watch the Minnesota Wild ever. No, God, no. You would. <laughs> I think you'd be a little nuts to intentionally watch a whole bunch of Minnesota Wild games, but, I mean, I guess. Yeah. I guess they have plenty of fans, so. Yeah. Um, so who did you have at 14, then? I have. The dude you just informed me, his first name is Charles McAvoy. <laughs> okay, I have him a little bit up. Uh, I have him at nine. Uh, I think McAvoy, uh, you know, I get it, this is getting really to the point of the list where, honestly, I don't think between nine and 15 is all that much of a difference, in my opinion. No, honestly, I have, I have, I just said Jared Spurgeon five. Between him and when I said Thomas Shabbat, I could hear arguments for anyone anywhere, essentially. Yeah. Um, and that's so, if, so yeah. Pardon, sorry? And that's like oh, that's like a 15-person gap, and yet I would oh, gladly yeah. hear anyone anywhere. Yeah, this one, and that's why it's so tough, because there's just so much. It just depends how you want to evaluate it and what you have available to you. Uh, for Charlie McAvoy, uh, or Charles McAvoy, I guess is what Hockey Biz has him at, I... Didn't know that. I don't know if that's his actual name or not, but um, he's just such a strong play driver in Boston. Like, so we talked about why I just left Tori Krug off my list. If you look at Charlie McAvoy's isolated impact, uh, when he, you know, his isolated impact in his own end is just off the charts. Is you know minus ten, minus nine point three percent. This year, his offensive impact was much stronger too. In the past, it hasn't been. It's just been a round average. So I 
slightly below average. But uh, for me, he's just kind of a he's so young. He's just a do it all player that I feel very comfortable having him in my top 10 kind of range right here. So I have him at nine personally. Uh, I think he's just, you know, an amazing player. Uh, he, he just does everything well, like. Yeah, and it's impressive that he's actually a complete defenseman at such a young age. Yeah, exactly. Um, he's one of the things, it's uh, very interesting. So him and Shabbat were in the same, or I, no, they were drafted a year apart, I believe. But it's always interesting if you, uh, the debates of who would you rather, Thomas Shabbat or Charlie McAvoy. And at this point in their career, I think you can make a case for either one, just depending on what you want. Yeah, especially at their last season, I would have been much higher on Shabbat coming into this season, but McAvoy was good enough last year. I think it's a really, really interesting debate. Yeah, um, it's, you know, for Hamilton, or Hamilton, McAvoy, sorry, uh, he is, you know, like, I just don't know what else to say. Like, he, I feel like he's underrated. Uh, like, I don't, I don't know how many people I would hear say he's in the top 15 for anyone's list, really. No, I felt strange putting him 14, but honestly, like, every piece of data I've seen is just points to the fact that Charlie McAvoy is a very, very good hockey player. Yeah, like, very good. Uh, you know, a, a hockey business model really likes him. Evolving Hockey's really does, too. He's third out of 25 guys in the past uh, two seasons for goals above replacement for defensemen. Um, yeah, yeah, he's very high on their list. Yeah, and he's one of the guys, you know, he'll look across the board. Power play offense is the only thing he's negative in, and it's very slightly negative. You know, and penalty takes, I guess. But again, it's very just below average. Yeah, exactly. It's not like he's this liability really anywhere. Uh, okay, so 14 for me, I had a guy that uh, I, I really had a tough time uh, placing him on this list, or, you know, where to place him. And part of it was injuries the past couple years, but uh, number 14 for me is one Christopher Letang. Ooh, that's interesting. I have Letang really high. Okay. Uh, yeah, so for me, I think he gets bumped down, kind of like Shea Weber did, just because of how few games he's played. It hasn't been quite to Weber's degree, but over the past four seasons, he's played 41, 79, 65, and 61 games. Um, it's... Including, you know, when Pittsburgh had a cup run in there and he didn't even get to play a single game in that, which is kind of tough. Uh, when he is playing, Chris Letang is an amazing player. Uh, there's really no two ways about that. Uh, he does, you know, a little bit of everything for Pittsburgh. He's a true play driver on that Pittsburgh defense core, and they desperately miss him when he's out. Uh, but just how little he plays scares me a bit, especially just... Because of the style of injuries he's had, too, you know, it's like a lot of head injuries he's had uh, and stuff like that. So, you know, this past year, he hasn't been a he wasn't great in his defense. He's not like a stud in his own end. He's, uh, you know, slightly below average, I would say. But he's a pretty solid two way guy and a good play driver in the offensive end at times as well. So for me, he ranks 14th on the list. Yeah, that's fair enough. It kind of reminds me of the way we had Taylor Hall. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it's one of those things where it's like, I don't know, like Chris Lee Tang, I, I feel like even people in Pittsburgh don't like him as much as maybe I would expect. Uh, he's one of those guys where it's just like he can make a real boneheaded play, but then he'll make up for it by just like making six amazing small little plays. Yeah, exactly. He's like the, he's, I he's like what 
I kind of dream Morgan Riley could turn into. Like, Morgan Riley's probably never going to get rid of those big mistakes or whatever, but, like, Chris Letang doesn't make nearly as many, and he still has that, I believe, elite offense to make up for it. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, him on the power play, it's it's so interesting trying to figure out uh, what uh, defensive, you know, or what, what uh, defensemen do for the power play compared to when they're on elite uh, with elite forwards, you know, because uh, we always talked about on P- Pittsburgh's power play, you know, obviously you have Malkin, you have Crosby. Those are two easy play drivers to look at right there. You know, you have someone like Hornquist, but then, you know, where does Phil Kessel fit in? And, you know, you were a believer, and I think rightfully so, of, you know, Phil Kessel's just more of a product of the power play he's in. And I think that would prove what he's, you know, with what he's done in Arizona. Is Chris Letang the same? Or I think he's probably way closer to the Morgan Riley aspect where it's like, no, he's a very key aspect of this power play as well. Yeah, I completely agree. I he's I don't think anybody would argue he's the most important player on it. I think that would be a little nuts, but he clearly does help, in my opinion. Yeah, and uh, the other thing, he's he is really strong on the penalty kill, actually, too, which is, you know, maybe not what people would think Chris Letang is good at, but uh, just look at his isolated impact, and when he's out on the penalty kill, there's just not much getting up from in front of the net. Yeah, which is weird. Uh, Evolving Hockey likes his penalty kill impact as well which they hate pretty much every person who's ever played a minute on the penalty kill. So <laughs> he must be doing something well, I guess. Yeah, and he's another guy who doesn't take too many penalties either. So, um, yeah, that helps him, I think, too. You know, he's right around, or he's right. He's just a little above league average in terms of not taking penalties. But, yeah, yeah I, don't, he, I don't know. He's enough. He's like low-key kind of dirty. So I always think of him as a guy who takes more than he does, but he seems to get away with enough, so. Yeah. So how high did you have him then? I'm four. Jeez. Okay. Yeah. I would not be comfortable, I think, putting him that high. I think he is kind of in that range of the, you know, seven to 15. I, I could put, you know, even if you want to switch him with someone like John Carlson, I would hear that argument just depending on what you're valuing more. Uh, but definitely with, especially with injuries, I think he gets bumped down this list. That's fair. My I have him so high because... I think there are four defensemen in the NHL right now that I'm confident are truly elite when they're healthy, and I think he's one of them. Yeah, that's fair. I'm gonna. It's going to be really interesting. I have a guy coming up in a couple spots that maybe you'll have real high, but I don't. Uh, we'll get into him soon, but it'll be interesting to see where you have him actually as well if, you know, with your line of thinking there. Um, the other thing I wanted to mention on Chris Letang is, you know, we kind of talked about Thomas Shabbat and Morgan Riley and how they have absolutely – you know, dick all for defensive partners at times. Uh, that's kind of been Chris Letang's motto for the past couple of years, too. I know now they have a couple guys on that defense core that at least look good. Like Brian Dumoulin, I like a lot in terms of him fitting with Chris Letang. But, uh, you know, when you have to play a bunch of time with Jack Johnson or Eric Branson, it's uh, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, exactly. There's pretty much no way to look good while on the ice with Jack Johnson. No, not at all. And, you know, they have some other guy, but even like Marcus Pedersen, I think he's a fine, you know, bottom six type of guy or like, sorry, bottom pair, you know, maybe a fourth defenseman. But if he's, you know, riding shotgun with your number one defenseman, there's only so much the guy can do too, right? Yeah, like Pedersen's fine. Like, but I think obviously Latang would be the one that would carry the weight on that pairing. Like you're not happy that that's your top pair because it's Marcus Pedersen out there. Yeah. Uh, okay. So who did you have 13? At number 13, I had Jacob Slavin. Hey, we got another one the same. I also had Jacob Slavin at 13. So we're at two for the list. Um, 
yeah, here you make your case for Slavin, and I'll probably I doubt there'll be much different that I have, but uh, I'll echo it or say something different if I have anything else to add. Uh, yeah, he's kind of like the same way if the Toronto Maple Leafs were a hockey player, I think they'd be Morgan Riley. If the Carolina Hurricanes were a hockey player, I think it would be Jacob Slavin. Just kind of quietly does his thing. He's not super flashy. He his actual results trail what his expected results are. But on the whole, he's just this amazing, like, he's so good at breaking the puck out. Like, he's just one of the most beautiful players to watch in the NHL in transition. He's just so good. Yeah, 100%. And I think he's becoming, uh, you know, one of the better guys just in his own end period. You know, like, uh, when you think of the modern-day shutdown defender, that's kind of what I think of, not not necessarily just Jacob Slavin, but, you know, that kind of idea where it's like, it's not this hard-hitting guy who just blocks a ton of shots anymore. It's a guy who doesn't let too much up when he's on the ice in his own end. He'll steal the puck and break it out the other way. Yeah, completely agree. And someone, I think it was 15-16 when I was first really, really high on Hampus Lindholm. Jacob Slavin's kind of taken that mold for me. Like, I think he's just Hampus Lindholmo better. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, uh, it's always an interesting debate I have with people is, is Jacob Slavin underrated? I think league-wide he probably still is. Um, you know, obviously not in our analytics Twitter circle he's not because people love Jacob Slavin. I think us both having him, you know, 13 on this list would. But, you know, I, I guess I'm, I'm looking at the Norris voting for last year, and he finished 16th. Which, I mean, is only three votes, to be fair. Uh, it's like three, it was one fourth place vote and two fifth place votes or something like that. Or no, it was a singular fourth place vote. So one person voted him fourth on their Norris ballot. So I, I would still say he's probably generally underrated in terms of league-wide. Yeah, I would think if you're, say this quarantine ends tomorrow and you hit up like, I don't know what's a what's the sports bar in Toronto called? Real sports or real sports? That? Yeah. Yeah, like I think if you hit up real sports and started telling people that Jacob Slavin is better than Morgan Riley, they'd look at you pretty weird. Yeah, one hundred percent. Especially in Toronto, but I think if you go almost anywhere but Carolina, you'd probably get it. And part of that's also playing in a smaller market. You know, we had the discussion last week with uh, uh, Jonathan Huberdeau as well, uh, where it's like. Uh, yeah, he's probably underrated, but how much of that is just him playing in a small market? Yeah, exactly. Because like, it's just a fact that Carolina Hurricanes have fewer fans than all sorts of NHL teams, unfortunately, for Jacob Slavin. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so who do you have at 12, then? At 12, I have Colton Pareko. Okay, so I have him way up on my list. Okay. So this is one guy. I have him four. So we're kind of, this is like Latang but opposite. Yeah. Um, so you make the case why he's down at 12 and I'll make the case why I have him way up at four. Um, I think he's really, really good. I'm a little skeptical that of, I just don't think he does enough offensively for me, even though he is one of the best players in the league at every other aspect of the game, I think. Yeah, that's fair. I mean, if you look at his isolated impact, it's not good offensively. Uh, in his own end, it's the exact opposite. It's a elite. I would say that he, you know how I just talked about shutdown defensemen, I would say if you want to think of like the typical mold where they just don't let anything up, he is probably that. Uh, he ranks, I think, one of the highest for evolving hockey defensemen in the entire league for even strength defense. And, you know, that's, you know, it's obviously it's hard to measure defensive impact like we mentioned up the top, but... Uh, just what he does in his own end and how little he seems to let up really uh, 
uh, solidifies that for me. And also one big thing that I, you know, I don't think people make a big enough deal of, obviously we've mentioned it and same with, I think uh, we were just talking about Jacob Slav and it kind of goes the same way, how much they play and how few penalties they take is truly amazing. Yeah. It's, Penalty differential, I think, is an underrated skill, even though it's hard to actually make a really big impact with your penalty differential. But Colton Pareko is so good at not taking penalties while still drawing enough that his penalty differential actually has a huge impact over the long run. Yeah, and like he, so for example, this year, I, I don't even know if his time, time on ice played, but uh, like he plays you know 20 ish minutes 20 to 22 minutes i would say probably a night and last year he took 15 penalty minutes and this year he took 16 uh in the playoffs last year he was playing you know every other shift pretty much the whole 26 games and he took uh 10 penalty minutes probably five minor penalties the entire playoffs so it's just one of those things where it's like him that mixed with his defensive ability i wanted to try and get one of those really defensive guys up on the list and you know he's probably four is probably a little too high I'd probably bump him down to you know eight or nine but he is just one of those guys like especially given his age and how young he is and you know the fact that i don't know if it's proven but you know like he's 26 so it's not like he's gonna be growing too too much more but i think in the nhl it's fair to say that as you get older you might be able to learn what you can get away with in your own end and you know how to cheat a little bit to get in the right angles in your own end that if he somehow becomes even better in his own end i think he'll be staying near the top of these lists for a little while yeah exactly or if say Angelo stays and Maybe he figures something out offensively, too. He has the potential to be one of the elite defensemen in the NHL. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, so Ford may be a little high, but I, I just think that he's one of those guys where it's like uh, he just does everything pretty well. Like uh, evolving hockey is, again, really high on him. Uh, actually, maybe not as high as I thought. Uh, I think he is. Yeah, no, he's only 18th, I guess, for goals above replacement. But and as you said, like his offensive numbers are they have a minus 0.7 over the past three years. So it's like almost, you know, just below league average, but his defensive numbers are off the charts and, you know, his penalty draw and take are also amazing. So that's kind of where I thought that he, you know, gets a little bit of a bump for me. Yeah, that's fair. And he's one of those defensemen. His, um, his expected results are better than his actual results, but I'm, I'm willing to forgive a lot of that for a defenseman. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, just watching him last year, a bunch during that playoff run, it was just so, like, nice to watch him, too. You know, he's he's a big, uh, you know, he plays like a very big guy. Uh, you know, he's he's not super tall. He's only, I think, six feet. Uh, he's pretty big. Yeah, he's like, he's, but small. He's, no, but it's not like, like, when you consider, like, the, you know, the Zidane Charas of the world, uh, he's not, like, that, that big, right? Um, but, yeah, I don't know. Like, he's, he just, uh, he, he's one of those, like, a mix between a current player and a throwback player, in my opinion, where it's like he does a little bit of everything and he does it all so well that I have him really high on my list. Yeah, that's 100% fair. He's just so smooth to watch. Yeah. Uh, so here's one that I think you're probably going to have probably higher too because I already brought him up to you before we started recording. And I have Seth Jones at 12. Uh, so this is a guy that is uh, micro stats versus you know macro stats and stuff like that. I was going to have him just off the top of my head, top five. And then, you know, when I started looking at, you know, analytically uh, what where he ranks, I almost, you know, if I was just doing this purely analytically with uh, Hockey Viz and Evolving Hockey, I don't know if I could 
just between those two sites put him in the top 20, which is just an interesting, like something I never would have thought I would say. But, uh, you know, so I have him 12, just somewhere in the middle. Uh, you know, when you look at evolving ho- or hockey viz, sorry, uh, this, like his isolated impact in the offensive end, he is not, he doesn't drive play at all. No, he's, he's one of the more difficult players to evaluate. I had him as the second best defenseman in the league in 17-18. So when we went into this, I expected to have him really high. I'm willing to eat my words on this one because the microstats are there. And like I was so high on him in the past, even using these sort of macro level on ice data. But I don't have him on my list. Yeah, okay. So like I debated leaving him off my list, but I don't know. Like there's just like I think you can really make an argument for either of the two, you know, and like I, I get that his microstats are okay, but even this year, like I don't know, he, he was hurt, so that kinda you know, hurts, but uh, you know, his counting stats I say is something that you could probably use as some like in seventeen eighteen he had fifty seven points, which is great for a defenseman. Last year he had forty six, which is very good as well. But this year he only got to play fifty six games and he only had thirty points. So like like even those, I, I don't know. Like it's just one of those things where I think you could make an argument for you know I think microstats people would make an argument for him to be way up on this list. And as obviously you have him off the list, you could probably put him down. So I tried just kind of plunk him right in the middle somewhere. Yeah, that's a pretty reasonable way of doing it. He's actually irritates the hell out of me. I've been working on like a projection model, and he's like one of the biggest outliers ever because he was so good for me at such a young age and then has just completely failed to live up to that. And I have no idea why. Yeah, I don't know. I'm just like, I'm still on hockey biz here. looking at his isolated impact. He's fine in his own end. Like he's, he's a slightly above average other than this past season here that we're currently in. But the three years before that, you know, he was, he was average. It's just he doesn't like when you look at his isolated impact for the offensive end. It's just a big old blue circle right in front of the net, and some of that probably teammates for a defenseman. But like if you're not helping generate any offense, or the offense you are generating is coming from your back point, that's not good either because it's such a low impact to go in from there. No, exactly. Like nobody's gonna wax poetically about a Norris Trophy winner because of how many shots from the blue line he generated. Exactly. So, yeah, Seth Jones is a very interesting case study here, and it'll be interesting to keep an eye if he, you know, if he has another year like he did this year where it's more down. You know, he probably won't be on my list next year either. Yeah, exactly. It's worth noting, even though I have him off, like I have a lot of time for the argument that he's good. Allison Lucan, the Columbus Blue Jackets beat writer, is pretty high on him, and she obviously follows the Blue Jackets out of a lot closer than we do. So I think that opinion would be worth weighing at least he he's very just aesthetically pleasing to watch like i don't know I, i'm assuming you probably don't get to watch too many columbus blue jacket games as do i but you know when i do get to watch columbus he's always one of those guys that just kind of i don't want to say he sticks out but it's like you do notice what he's doing on the ice and it always just kind of seems nice so i think his eye test definitely helps out his case if we're you know evolve involving that yeah exactly and even just going back to the draft position and whatnot like there are so many priors that suggest he is actually good or at very least should be it's like i i kind of don't know how to evaluate seth jones he confuses the hell out of me to be honest yeah it's you know he's one of the guys where it's like you could really make an argument for him probably to be all the way up near top five to literally 25 30 you know so or you know maybe even lower than that if you're that down on what his uh macro stats look like yeah exactly uh so who do you have at 11 then 
At 11, I have Roman Yossi. Okay, so I have him up on my list as well. Uh, I've definitely valued offense here uh, for some of these guys. I have him up at 6. Um, right with Carl. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. I had him and Carl's in the kind of same vein. I think Yossi is generally probably overrated now league-wide. Um, uh, like, maybe, I don't know, like last year he finished 7th for Norris voting, which... Again, whatever, but that's only given how many votes went to Giordano. That doesn't actually, it's not as crazy as it sounds. He got two seconds, two thirds, and then 13, 14, or fourth place and 19, fifth place votes. So it's not like he was like this overwhelming uh, guy at all. But I think generally speaking among fans now, he's probably a little overrated just because of how poor he is in his own end. Um, but, you know, he is very strong offensively. Uh, it's. The power play is weird to me, too, because Nashville's power play has been atrocious. But, you know, uh, when you look at it, it's like the, the a lot of the shots are the, – their problem is they don't generate much right in front of the net. And sometimes I wonder how much of that is Roman Yossi's fault. Or, you know, if they took one of the defensemen from Nashville off the power play because they love playing a two-defenseman system, if someone like Yossi would flourish more in that. Yeah, I think that would help him. I'd use this kind of thought process with Shea Weber, too. It's definitely Yossi's worst feature, the fact that he just bombs away at a power play. But I kind of look at these lists like if I took over a team, my life depended on this game tomorrow. And I think it would be easy enough to fix Yossi's big flaw there, which is him just bombing away from the blue line. Like, I think that's more of a coaching thing than a player thing. Yeah, it's not like he's a bad pass or anything like that. Like, he's got some solid vision. You know, he's very good in all aspects of the offensive zone. So I think you're absolutely right that, you know, I, I don't think he's the one who's like, I need to just be bombing away shots from the point where, you know, if you say, no, let's try and set up some of our other playmakers, you get your head up, either wrist a shot low or take a look for an, a nice open pass to someone. I think, you know, he would excel in that uh, aspect of the game, too. Yeah, exactly. And he's, uh, for as a Leaf fan, he's kind of the dream mold I hope Morgan Riley turns into where he's still got that offense at five on five but he isn't nearly the defensive liability that Morgan Riley is. Like, the Predators don't get as caved in. No, uh, you know, if you look at his isolated impact last year, he was real bad in his own end, but this year he's been, like, just below league average, so it's like, and that's considering how well he's done in the offensive end this year. You know, that's kind of like, I, I think for this one, just seeing how good of a year he's had this season, mixed with the priors that we know about him, really put him higher on my list than, uh, obviously, you have him, but... Yeah, that's fair enough. And the more you weigh offense, the easier it is to kind of imagine why he could be super, super high on this list. Yeah, and I mean, even looking at last year, so his isolated threat wasn't great, but, you know, when he was on the ice versus when he was off the ice, the uh, offensive impact was just incredible. Like, when he was on the ice, they were plus 10 in threat, and when he was off, they were minus 3, and obviously that's not all him, but uh, given, you know, where a lot of the, you know, there's some along the half boards and stuff like that, like, he, he pinches down and he makes that stuff happen too, so, and, you know, last year... His, his isolated numbers weren't great, but when again, him on and off the ice wasn't as aggressive of uh, a difference. Yeah, exactly. And he's a weird one. He's like a really high variance player. Like he, his numbers seem to fluctuate a lot more wildly than most players who are that established and that old. So he's he's kind of a tough one in that aspect. Yeah, exactly. And again, same with John Carlson, where it's like I could hear the, the argument to bump them down to 13th or 14th, depending on what you value and, you know, how you value it. Uh, he's kind of that guy where it's like he's just been, you know, we've he's been just so 
solid for so long now and you know for a while he was underrated that I think uh, I just kind of slot him in that sixth area because he just does you know he's so great in in the offensive end so yeah exactly he's he's fun to watch too I really love his like hyper aggressive fourth forward style even yeah. though it's downsides 100 percent uh so 11 here uh this is kind of a guy where I debated putting him, you know, 7th or 8th or something like that, too. But 11th is just kind of where he fell, fell with the other guys that I have, and that's John Klingberg. I have him 10. Okay, yeah. So I, I think, you know, Klingberg, he is a guy that, you know, and this was the other Dallas defenseman we were talking about. Uh, he's a guy that uh, broke onto the scene a couple years ago, really, for, I'd say, his breakout season, uh, in my opinion. Uh, he's not a guy who gets a ton of, like, Norris lovely wide, and, you know, that's probably fair. But uh, he's just a solid guy. He's very good at play driving the offensive end uh this year he's had a little bit of a drop in defensive impact but generally speaking he's he's not a stud in his own end but he he's very solid yeah he's one of those guys who's been like really good i don't think the lack of norris love is unfair I, his breakout year i think i had him like third or something like that but i don't think he's necessarily been the best defenseman in the nhl any year but he's just been really really good at driving play for a long time from the blue line yeah for sure and he's one of those guys where it's like i think when he had his breakout season um he was one of the guys where we kind of looked at like oh this is going to be a norris guy for years to come and then he just he never quite got to that level but he, i mean he's still you know i have him 11th you have him 10th for you know uh lists uh for best defenseman so he's still right on that you know just outside the elite tier of defensemen in my opinion yeah exactly he is at worst amazing yeah, exactly. Um, and, you know, he's one of the guys where he got Essa Lindell paid uh, with a, a very big contract. I think, you know, a lot of that was the work that John Klingberg did. Yeah, I think Essa Lindell owes, owes Klingberg some money for that one. <laughs> yeah, so uh, he's just kind of a guy who, you know, he makes whoever plays with them better. Um, and, you know, he is a big reason why Dallas is, you know, been able to compete for the past couple of years because, you know, he, he is really breaking out broken out as the number one defenseman, so... Yeah, exactly. And their blue line isn't that good. I would I don't think they would look nearly as good without him running the ship back there. No, I mean, if you yeah, like when you look at the rest of their defense, like I I like Heiskanen a lot too. I think he's becoming a number 1 defenseman, but again, he's young enough where it's like you might still want another year or two of data to make make sure of that, but then after that, you have Essa Lindell who is fine, but he's not great, you know, uh you have Stephen Johns, Jamie Alexiak, Roman Polak, Andre Sakara, and Taylor Fadoon back there. So, like, uh, it's just not a great cast of characters behind those two. No, exactly. And I don't know. They seem to have done well recently. So I don't know if this has been good for the team overall. But it's bad for at least me watching Klingberg because he was so much fun to watch when the Stars played this wide-open hockey he was such a big part of getting the puck to Ben and say again when they were actually this like offensive juggernaut. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, it was, yeah, it was very, very pleasing to watch. Um, and, and you know, now uh, they play a much more laid back style of defensive style play. And as their stars get older, like, uh, you know, no pun intended there, uh, Jamie Ben and Tyler Sagan and Alexander Radulov, as their offensive numbers, you know, start to dip a little bit, that's kind of the defensive aspect they have to take. But, uh, yeah, it, it may hurt the eye test a little bit for Klingberg just because he is so much fun to watch. But if he's, you know, being tamed back a little bit, uh, that's that's a little tough. 
Yeah, and it, like I said, it might be a good strategy for the team overall. That's just my sort of selfish take on it. Yeah, for sure. Uh, okay, so at 10, this uh, pain me to put him here. Uh, I will absolutely hear an argument that if he is healthy and that's how we're doing it, he could probably still easily be top five. But at 10 right now, I have Eric Carlson. Oh, so we're going to have a real different top of our list. Yeah, um, so Carlson is one of those guys where I think even if we are doing this last summer, I still would have probably had him top three. Uh, this year, he uh, struggled more than in past years. And again, so I've bumped down two guys already in Latang and Weber for injuries. This is the exact same thing. Uh, Eric Carlson played 56 games this year and 53 last year. And, uh, you know, I still think that, you know, I, I think that people definitely underrate Eric Carlson and what he is now. But I do think that it is a little worrying um, just how bad his ankle is um, in terms of uh, he gets burned a lot and like a lot, like a lot more than he used to in Ottawa, which is uh, a little bit worrying just given his age and just how many like severe injuries he's had. Um you know, this year he was still, when he played, he was still very good at driving play in the offensive zone, as he has been his entire career. Uh, he was below average as in the defensive zone, like he kind of has been his entire career. Uh, but he wasn't, like, atrocious or anything. But I think Carlson this year was just kind of closer to, like, the 20 to 25th best defenseman instead of the elite defenseman that, you know, we're used to him being. And mixing that in with him being elite when he was playing last year but not playing near enough last year is why he gets bumped to 10 on my list. Yeah, that's reasonable. I had him higher because there are a lot of really good defensemen in the NHL today, but there are very few that I'm actually confident are elite defensemen in the NHL anymore. And Eric Carlson has still been amazing enough at driving play over the past three years that I think he is still one of them. Yeah. Like I, I would, again, I would definitely hear an argument that, you know, if he, if this re, you know, this break could be really help someone like him where he's going to have, you know, maybe up to eight months off to, to rest his ankle. And, you know, uh, I think he had a finger issue and everything else that's been uh, plaguing him these past couple of years. Uh, if he can get back to, you know, the healthy head when he was even his last year in Ottawa, uh, I think, you know, we're going to see the dominant Eric Carlson again. And uh, he will shoot right back up my list. But, you know, just given, you know, what we've seen, I don't want to say, like, I, I mean, I have him at 10th still. It's not like I think he's some bum like a lot of people around the league do. I just... I, I'm a little, a little hesitant to say just with the past two years now of injuries and then this year him not being the elite guy that we've seen. I don't want to throw out, obviously, the years and years of data we have on him being an amazing defenseman or an absolute, like, franchise defenseman. But that being said, I think, you know, just how his age, injuries, and this season's play scares me a little bit. Yeah, there are certainly reasons to be concerned with Carlson. Uh, there was a lot of, like, he's cooked narrative this year or whatever. I don't buy that, but, like, he, again, to go with the Taylor Hall winger argument, like, I just think his ceiling is so much higher than essentially everybody else in the NHL that I just kind of had to leave him at the top because there are guys who have maybe a better goals above replacement in the past few years, but I'm so skeptical of the argument that Carlson's actually cooked. Yeah, I don't know. I... Yeah, I, I think that's definitely fair. Uh, did you have him? Like, how high did you have him? I have him three. Okay, yeah. So, I don't know. Like, 
I, I could see him getting back to that point next year, but I think if we just have to look at, you know, what happened this year, you know, in the past three years, obviously, I would just be a little concerned given all that has happened in terms of, uh, you know, the the, the overlying uh, arch and story that's gone with him. And, you know, some of its teammates, it's not like uh, San Jose had a good year by any means this year either. Everyone he's playing with struggled mightily as well. Yeah, it wasn't. There was not a lot of reasons for optimism in San Jose this year. But I will say, if you just look at Eric Carlson's, like, RAPM charts, like, his defense isn't as discernibly bad as it used to be, which is odd, given the narrative no, of him as he's getting turnstiled every game. His uh, isolated impacts is kind of the same way. You know, back in, in his peak dominance years, he was in 14-15 all the way to, you know, 17-18, was really when he was the worst in his own end in terms of isolated impact anyways. You know, again, that some of that might just be uh, what we have to try and evaluate. But, you know, this year he's uh, a much closer league average, and same with last year. Uh, I think the eye test really hurts him because when he – he's kind of like, you know, how Morgan Riley makes a big mistake and that's all anyone remembers. Eric Carlson's the exact same way except – uh, the pa- this past year has been even worse, be- or the past couple years has been even worse because of just how bad it has looked when he gets uh, absolutely blown by on the on the far side or something like that. But uh, that's not necessarily means that that it happens all the time. It just means that you know it sticks out in people's memory. Yeah, exactly. And he's got that ankle injuries that everyone who pays a little bit of attention to hockey is aware of. But two other things that work in Carlson's favor for me, his sort of. On ice, like the puck hasn't necessarily gone in as much as you would expect, but his expected goals for, like how well he's been driving play, has stayed relatively steady for me. And when it's Eric freaking Carlson, I'm willing to take the bet that it's just noise that his goals for is underperforming that. As well as he gets pretty much no help from power play impact in a lot of models. And I'm... San Jose is one of the few teams also that loves just bombing from the point. I'm so skeptical that Eric, like the best offensive defenseman of our generation is actually bad on the power play. Like I'm willing to excuse that even though the results haven't been there. For sure. And I'd say one other thing that kind of goes in his favor too, uh, if you want to try and evaluate, is just how freaking bad his goaltending is. Um, I think that the biggest reason why people think he looks terrible defensively. Yeah. So like, you know, in Ottawa, if he got blown by once or twice, uh, you know, maybe, maybe once it goes in, but maybe the other time Craig Anderson stops it in San Jose, there's times where it's like, like in this play, the last year's playoff run was insane to watch how many people tried to pin stuff on Carlson. It was like, like, I can't even, like, Carlson would play a two on one perfectly. It would be a shot from like the far hash mark. And uh, Jones would just let it go through him five hole because he didn't have a stick on the ice or something. And everyone would be like, oh, it's Carlson's fault. No, it's not. It's his goaltending sucks. Like, yeah, exactly. And er how much people have been talking about Eric Carlson being bad defensively has actually been like negatively correlated with how bad he's actually been defensively. Like when he was in like 12, 13 or 13, 14 those years, like. He actually had, like, defensive deficiencies there. Like, not the worst in the league, but, like, bad enough defensive deficiencies. But nobody really started talking about about it until he gets to San Jose. 
And I don't think it's a coincidence that that's when he got 80 goaltending. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, so maybe I would move Carlson a little bit up. I, I, I definitely think it's one of those things where it's just like if I had to try and evaluate injuries and everything, which I tried to take into account, that's why he got a little bit of a bump down on my list. But I think you could probably – I would put him as high as four still. Um, you know, and if next year he comes back and he, you know, gets a bit of shooting luck, I think he would be right back up into the top three. So, Yeah, and he's another one – I've said this before, I'll say it again. Like, I don't think there's that many, like – top tier defense like there's nobody in the nhl right now close to as good as the victor hedman eric carlson combo was in like 16 17 yeah for sure um okay so i have my nine eight seven six have all been mentioned already i had mcavoy giordano carlson then yossi from nine to six so let's go with your nine uh nine i have this guy who i wonder if is going to be on your list at all or if he's going to be really high on your list, I have Shea Theodore. Uh, no, I left him off. I That was the other name. I had Nate Schmidt as one of the guys I was looking at, and for some reason I completely forgot about uh, Theodore. Yeah, so he's one of those guys. I'm, I think I'm sticking my neck out pretty far having them this high because his sort of actual on-ice results have yet to catch up with his underlying numbers. But he has just been such a freak in terms of driving play for the past few seasons that I have him this high. Yeah, uh, I'm looking at you know his isolated impact, and it is off the charts the past two years. You know, 2018, 19, 19, 20. Uh, you know, plus 10.4 and plus 13.3 uh, percent. You know, and he's. Uh, not a liability anymore in his own end either. You know, his first three years of his career, he was really bad in his own end. Uh, the past two years, he's cleaned that up to the point where it's like he's either slightly below or slightly above uh, league average, you know, right around there. Yeah, exactly. So even though I think he's he's one of those guys that putting him here to me is kind of like buying low on his stock because I think – I said this again last year and it didn't happen this season, but – I think he's one of those guys that all of a sudden we're going to look in a season or two and he's going to be like third place in the goals above replacement leaderboard. And everybody's going to be like, oh, my God, this man's this underrated freak who we haven't been talking about enough. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, even like his his points are starting to catch up with uh, what he's trying. He's got 46 points in 71 games. But but I think there's probably even another step to take uh, for him in this uh, 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 next couple seasons. Yeah, exactly. And him getting like massive power play success would go a big would be a big part of that for a defenseman. He does not have that yet in his career, and that would be the biggest thing to me. For sure. And you know, having guys like Pacioretty and Mark Stone now to try and feed the puck to, you know, especially like a guy like Mark Stone to feed the puck to five v five or the power play, I think is going to be a huge boost for him too. Yeah, completely agreed. Stone as someone with, I think Stone's probably the best shooter Vegas has had in their entire existence, right? Uh, probably, yeah. I mean, like, uh, Stone doesn't have the best shot in the world, or he has a very good shot, but he doesn't use it all that often. Like, I don't know. Like, to me, I always think Pacioretty is a big shooter, but Stone is just a guy who can kind of do everything offensively, where he, he's got a good enough shot that you have to respect it, but he can also move the puck so well as two. True. Stone's also one of those weird guys where he's like the reverse William Nylander where I don't really watch Stone and think like he's got this massive booming shot that you could be scared of. And then you check the spreadsheets and like when Stone shoots, the puck just goes in a really, really, really high percentage of the time. 
Oh yeah, well I mean yeah, if he, if you watch him score, some of them are just like, oh my god, this is amazing. But then he, I I think it's part of the the charm of Stone too is that he doesn't use it so much. So you know you never know when it's coming because he can just as easily make a dish to someone else who's going to wire it in the back of the net as well. So um, okay, so who did you go for eight? At eight was where I had Ekholm. Ekholm, okay, okay. So we've already gone over Ekholm. Uh, I think we kind of talked about why you had him so high too, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, I just, I'm higher on his uh, sort of expected impact. Yeah, and, and so, yeah, I don't know. For me, you know, so I had Yossi 6, and there's still another Nashville defenseman on this list, and I'm pretty sure you're probably going to have another Nashville defenseman on this list somewhere, too. Um, I... Yeah, so for me, Ekholm is just kind of, uh, you know, I think he was the, not the worst, the worst of the three makes it sound like a bad thing. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I I have him maybe lowballing him at 18th, the best defenseman in the league, and that's the worst out of three, it's probably just that Nashville has an unreal defense score. But uh, Yeah, exactly. It's more of a compliment to Nashville than a dig at Ekholm. Yeah. Uh, so who do you have at seven? At seven, I have a guy who I'm going to assume is in your top two or three, Alex Petrangelo. I have him all the way at number one. Oh, wow, actually? Yeah. Um. So... Over the past, you know, so I think the cup run really showed what Petrangelo was about last year. Um, you know, his over the past three years in Evolving Hockey, he's fourth for goals above replacement. And there's two guys that I also have in the top three. So in my opinion, there's three guys that you could really put number one. Um, and I, I mean, we'll get to them in soon. And they're the only, they're two, uh, two of them and Charlie McAvoy are the only people higher than Petrangelo uh, for goals above replacement over the past three years for defensemen. Um, and then when you just look at his, you know, like what he's done to, uh, I, I think he played, you know, he's played a bunch of his minutes with a guy like Jay Bomeister, who, uh, Jay Bomeister's had a great career and I, I'm still hoping that he's recovering and, you know, that he has a healthy life for the rest of his life. Jay Bomeister was pretty damn washed for the past couple of years. And so having to, you know, drag someone like that along is not the easiest thing in the world. Yeah, Bomeister's been cooked for pretty much the entire time. We've been sort of like stats guys, which is what, like yeah. five or six years now. Yeah, um, and the other thing I really like about Petrangelo is uh, I think he's just kind of, it feels like every year he's kind of different when you look at his isolated impact. So, as you know, four or five years ago, he was uh, like a great play driver and just kind of fine in his own end. And then he's kind of shifted to a guy who, you know, last year he wasn't amazing in his own end. Um, but you know, come playoff time, I think he really showed that he can eat minutes. So it's kind of one of those guys where it's like, uh, do you like guys who just eat a ton of minutes or do you like guys who are really quality in the short amount of minutes they have? And I think it's a a little bit of a mix of both with Petrangelo, but he just kind of feels like someone who can do whatever you need him to do. And like case in point this year, he's back to being an amazing play driver while also being very just fine in his own end. Yeah, he's a really weird one. Again, when you think of, like, high-variance players, you usually think of, like, Adam Fox, who's a guy nobody expected to be that good and yet has been amazing. But, like, Petrangelo's been a strangely high-variance player for the fact we have a massive sample size on him and his numbers kind of bounce around all over the place. Yeah, 100%. And that's why I think, you know, again, I it's kind of like what you said with the Carlson thing where it's like, uh, there's not really one person you could uh, say that is elite anymore, or not like uh, no, that's not how I want to phrase it. There's not, you know, how it's like when it was Hedman and Carlson in the peak years. It was clearly those two were the best, and then there was just no one else you could put in that category. This is kind of the same idea, except it's like 
there's no one in those two categories. It's just kind of in that category. It's just like a bunch of guys who are all very, very solid at the top of the list. Or, you know, there's obviously a couple you can call elite, but it's like there's nowhere near the gap between first and even fifth that there was like two years ago. Yeah, exactly. Like there's no one even close to the way those guys were. I think Angelo one is reasonable which is an odd sentence coming from a guy who has him seven because i think he would have won the norris this year and rightfully so yeah like this year was definitely one of the better seasons that he has had in recent memory maybe his best in the career like he has been very 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 good this year and you know last year he was fine he wasn't i don't think he was near like i wouldn't have had him one going into this season but two years ago he was really really good too you know and i think even last year like going into this year's season i think i probably would have had him a top five probably so you know him just going already being a top five defenseman in my opinion and then taking that extra step as well is important and i think one of the other things that you know gets uh doesn't get brought up too much but that kind of goes in petrangelo's favor in my opinion is his offensive zone starts um, he has been his highest offensive zone start percentage has been 51%, and that was this year. The two years before that have been like, I believe, well into the 40s, like 45 or so. So it's not like this guy where like I think you see some of the guys on our list who have great offensive numbers, but they also have like a 65% offensive zone start or whatever, right? Like they're pretty sheltered. Uh, Petrangelo is not that guy, obviously. He kind of plays all kinds of minutes. Yeah, and so it gets into this weird argument, like. Before the reason I had Pitarangelo low was because coming into this season, I was not a hundred percent confident he was better than Colton Pareko. But then you see this year, and then all this. I think when people argue about our stats aren't good enough at adjusting for usage, I think it's a lot of people just seeing a model that says something they disagree with and then throwing that at the wall. But like it is interesting at very least that when Pitarangelo kind of gets opened up this year his numbers jump through the roof. Yeah, for sure. And it's one of those things where it's just kind of like, I guess, common sense too, right? Like, I don't know, like when you, uh, if you're a defenseman who now doesn't have to worry about just making sure you don't get scored on, you're allowed to open up, your numbers are going to look better. Whereas if you're a defenseman who primarily through their career has not had to worry about taking the big defensive matchups and then you have to, your numbers are probably going to look a little worse. But, you know, that's just how it's going to work, I think. Yeah, it makes an intuitive sense. The more worried you are about playing the big defensive minutes, the less offense you are going to put up, even though it's not always the case. But you can definitely see why it might happen for some people. For sure. So who did you have six? Uh, Ryan Ellis. Okay, so I had him three. So he was one of the other guys where I, I think this year he's like really made his case as one of the best defensemen in the league. Um over the past three seasons, he leads uh, the defenseman on goals above replacement with 47. Um, when you cut that down to the past two seasons, uh, he, he is second, only behind Victor Hedman um, at 34.6. Uh, and I believe he is leading or second this year as well. So he's just kind of one of those guys where it's like, he's been silently unreal for Nashville the past three seasons. Yeah, he's leading this year by five goals above replacement on Petrangelo. Um, he's just been one of those guys who's been silently unreal the past three seasons. And I feel like he gets nowhere near enough love for, you know, maybe driving more play on that Nashville back end than, uh, you know, he gets credit for. Yeah, hundred percent. And even going back to 15, 16, like spanning to a completely different model, uh, Dawson Spriggings war model had Ryan Ellis as the best defenseman in the league back then. So this isn't anything new for him. 
No, not at all. Um, and that's why I kind of have him at three. And I, I know I pretty much just gave away who I have at two. I think it'll probably be pretty obvious now. But uh, I, I just think that he's one of those guys where it's like, you know, he just does everything pretty well. He doesn't drive offensive impact amazingly, but he is so good in his own end that, you know, he makes up for that. And it's not like he's a complete liability in the offensive end either. He's just, he's way more of a, a defensive slash two-way guy than he is offensive, but he's so good at that, that it makes up for a lot of any, like a lot of his uh, uh, problems in the offensive end. Yeah, hundred percent. He's uh, one of the, he's a true two-way defender. Yeah. And he's one of the guys who are, you know, ranked, uh, you know, above average on uh, evolving hockey's penalty kill too, and his take and draws are both uh, very solid as well. So I think that helps his case a lot. Yeah, he's a penalty dif- differential god, and that's that's one of the uh, he was one of the guys that Dawson Springing's models back in the day opened up to me on the value of penalty differential because that was a big driver between why he was so high. Yeah. Um, so why do you have him? I guess at six then. If is there any reason for the you know the guys that you have? Because we already have your five, four, and three. Carlson's three. Uh, Latang is five or four. Uh, Latang is four. And then oh, I'm trying to figure out who you had five here. Uh, Spurgeon. Spurgeon, right? So why did you have Ellis below those three guys? So Ellis is the goals above replacement god which is why I have him this high. Obviously, even my models have been high on him for quite some time. But his, if you look at his RAPM, this is just a more complex way of saying his PDO is really, really high, essentially. Like, his goals for impact has so grossly outperformed his expected goals for impact, and I'm highly, highly skeptical that reflects Ryan Ellis's true talent. Yeah, it's that's an interesting case study to look at because it's like as a, like as I mentioned, his isolated impact. It's uh, a lot of blue for the um, uh, offensive zone of things. Uh, you know, he's in fact he hasn't been positive in it since fifteen sixteen. Now he hasn't been like extremely negative every year. He was right on the average uh, in twenty seventeen eighteen, and then twenty nineteen twenty. Like this year, he was only minus three percent. But still, like uh, it's one of those things where it's. Uh, you know, it depends how long you're looking at it, I guess, because hockey's so random that um, things can be wrong for not wrong, but, you know, lucky for like three or four years at a time. But, you know, at what point do you go, OK, this guy's performed, outperformed his expected goals for like five years running? Maybe is he better than we just give him credit for? Yeah, and there's reason to think that he might actually be like there are priors on him that he was really, really good. He was this like generational offensive defenseman in junior. So I don't know. I'm like, maybe there is something I'm missing there and I shouldn't be as skeptical as I am with his expected results, but it's just such a massive gap. And I'm not really confident any defenseman can sustain such a gap in the long run. Although I would happily be wrong because I do really like Ryan Ellis. Yeah, and I think one of the other things that works for him, and also Yossi in this part, is they're the kind of the perfect pairing together where it's like, we talked about how Yossi's so good offensively, but really bad defensively, but, you know, and Ryan Ellis is almost the exact opposite of that, where it's like, Ryan Ellis doesn't need to run around the offensive end and do stuff, but, you know, his... 5v5 offense uh, with and without splits are insane. Like, with with Ryan Ellis on the ice this year, Nashville's a plus 15 threat. With him off the ice, he's a minus 3. I don't think that's Ryan Ellis, but, you know, when he's playing uh, big minutes with a guy like Roman Yossi, uh, those two working together could be a huge reason for that, in that, you know, when Roman Yossi's on the ice, he's driving the offensive play with the forwards. 
Ellis might be sitting back in the offensive zone, but then he really takes cover in the defensive zone. And so it's kind of hard to differentiate between the two, but it's like, why, if you're Nashville, why would you ever split that kind of thing up? Whereas if you have one guy who's really great in his own end and one great, really, really good in his, offensively, and they work perfectly together, you have no incentive to really split that up. Yeah, exactly. They make perfect intuitive sense as a pair and they're on ice results and backed it up too. Yeah, exactly. Um, so I have two guys left then. I have five and two, and you have two and one. Uh, so I have Dougie Hamilton, number five, and I'm going to assume he's either one or two for you. Yep. Which one I, is it? I have him two. Two. Okay. So, yeah. So I have Dougie Hamilton, five. I debated putting him up a little bit, uh, but he's kind of in that range where, you know, he's his numbers are thing i think he one thing to look at for him is you know what we talked about with shea theodore where his number offensive numbers have been caught up if he's just yeah. given the power play time of a number one defenseman i think his counting stats would go through the roof and people would kind of realize just like how good he really is yeah i completely agree he's just been absurd at driving five on five offense in the past like four years now i think it is that I believe power play time, and all of a sudden we're talking about Dougie Hamilton as this like perennial Norris Trophy candidate. Yeah, he's definitely one of the most underrated players in the entire league. Um, again, I don't think a lot, you know, in the market he's plays in, but it's not like he's played in all bad markets. Like, or sorry, sorry I, I don't want to call Carolina a bad market. All uh, small markets is what I meant to say. Like Calgary is a Canadian market so obviously there's going to be a lot of tension on there but even then and you know Boston's a huge market and he started his career over there but even then he was I think probably underrated of the type of player that he was yeah I agree and obviously he was young enough he wasn't the same player in Boston as he was now but I think I still had him as like a number two defenseman when they traded him and he was super super young so it's not like this has been that difficult to foresee coming no, not at all. And, he, you know, he's just at 5v5, he's so good where it's like, you know, in the offensive end, but even in his own end, you know, he's very, very respectable. Like, it's not like he's a shutdown stud or anything like that. But considering how well he drives play in his uh, in the offensive end, um, like we're talking like league best kind of stuff for defensemen. He's just like right around league average in his own end. And that's kind of what makes him just one of the top five defensemen in the league. Yeah, exactly. And me having him two, like, I kind of felt a little gross putting him there because when I think of two, again, I think of, like, 16, 17 Victor Hedman when him and Carlson were just so much better than everyone else. Like, I don't have a ton of confidence putting him two, but he's just been such a freak at driving play for so long. I, his results just kind of speak for themselves to me. Yeah, and that's kind of why I bumped him down a little bit to five. Like, I didn't have him quite up at two, but, I mean, I, I think it's a reasonable place. I think, uh, you know, it's kind of right in that range where he is. And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like uh, evolving hockey's not super high on him, but, like, hockey viz is. So it just kind of depends what you look at in terms of uh, um, what you're evaluating. And by, by super high, I just mean he's only the 17th best defenseman over the past three years for them. But, uh yeah. And even using their expected car, I'm pretty sure he's, like, top three. Yeah, probably. Um, and then so for uh, Victor Hedman, I have him, too. Uh, that's probably recently, recency bias. Again, I will absolutely hear a case. He is number one. I, Him and Petrangelo were very, very, very close for me. I was almost about to put Hedman first and probably just recently biased that I had Petrangelo. But he's just been so good for so long. And it's funny that the year he won the Norris was probably one of the few that I – 
honestly didn't think he came close to deserving it, but yeah, I uh, that's agree. That's just how the league works, I guess. So yeah, like he's again, like I don't, like he's not even as good. Like Victor Hedman, I have him one, and I don't believe he's as good as he was when he was the second best defenseman in the league. But like, I just he just kind of wins by just persistence, I guess. Just like hanging around and being just fantastic for a long enough period of time, I guess. Yeah, I mean, over the past three years, goals above replacement involving hockey has him second, like for defensemen. Um, again, only behind Ryan Ellis, and that's by uh, two goals above replacement. So like. Uh, it's been very close. He's just been completely consistent. And again, I don't even think the past three years of his career has been the best of it. Like, like back in you know sixteen, seventeen, or whatever. Uh, it's uh, a shame for him that Carlson was so great and Doughty was so perceived great. Um, and yeah, no, I don't mean like obviously Doughty was like a top five, top ten defenseman in his prime. But I, I think Doughty has always been pretty damn overrated thanks to what nationality is and the Olympic teams he's played on. But uh, that's yeah. a different discussion. But, uh, you know, Hedman kind of, you know, I always talk about how Carlson was probably screwed out of two Norris's. Definitely the one Brent Burns won and the year before when Doughty won. I think both of those were absolutely atrocious that uh, Carlson didn't win. But Victor Hedman's the same vein in that he kind of just got screwed that he had to play with Pete Eric Carlson and, you know, obviously Doughty and Burns as well. Yeah, exactly. Like, Car- Victor Hedman could have, like, could justly have, like, five second-place Norris seasons, in my opinion, at this point in his career. Yeah, and it's, you know, no fault to his own. It's just that one of the best defensemen we have seen in such a long time was playing ahead of him for that, you know, period of time. Yeah, exactly. Like, it's just, it's unfortunate that a generational talent's peaking at the same time as you are, but it happened to Victor Hedman, even though he was fantastic. Exactly. Um, so we're that's an hour and a half, Mark. We went pretty long with that, but I, I'm pretty happy with how that went. I thought both our, our lists, that was definitely the most different we've had our two lists. But again, that's how I think evaluating defensemen is so hard because, uh, you know, the stats you look at are so noisy and there's so many different stats to look at, but that's what makes it fun. Yes, yeah, I think it's the most interesting because you can make reasonable cases for way more defensemen than you can any other position. For sure. Um, so next week we're going to look at the top 10 goalies, I think. Uh, that one should be interesting, too, because we're probably both using the same kind of set of data. Um, and it'll be just interesting to see how we value this year versus the past two years or whatever. But, uh, yeah, thanks, everyone, for listening. Um, uh, you can find my work at lastwordonhockey.com. You can find me on Twitter at NHL Sends and stuff. You can find Chase at CMHockey66. Uh, Chase, do you have anything else to add? I do not. All right. Well, thanks, everyone, for listening. If you haven't already, go check out our top 20 wingers list and our top 10 center. Uh, Those are both on iTunes. You can find us on iTunes or anywhere you listen to the podcast. That includes Spotify. Uh, SoundCloud will always have the last three episodes that we've put up. I'm too cheap to buy pro, so I don't bother uh, uh, keeping them all up, especially for the two listens that they get. But, yeah, check us out anywhere you can find podcasts. Make sure to subscribe if you like. Tell a friend. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening, and stay safe.